Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, Sarah. How you doing? I'm all right. I have an end of the year gift for you. (gasps) I love gifts. Do tell. (laughs) I've been saving this oral history just for December and our our last one of the season. It's one of my favorite in the collection. That's saying a lot. We have a few. (laughs) It's uh, from Albert Kordiak. Do you know who he is? You know, I've heard the name. Just just a little bit. (laughs) Once in a while, here and there. Al Kordiak was Anoka County Commissioner from 1954 to 1986. He uh, sat down in the early 2000s with our old director, Todd, and did an oral history over the course of two days. And I've edited that two-day oral history down into a podcast length but it was really hard to make all the decisions about what to keep. And we'll have the episode uh, transcript on the show notes page. And then the full length interview will be available with its transcript in the vault. Ah, so for vault subscribers, they get to see the full transcript. Yes. And you can always request it when you come into the museum as well. But But some of the things that, Al goes into in this episode is he talks about his family coming from Czechoslovakia. He talks about communism, being anti-communist. And he talks about being this young guy trying to balance a full-time job while commuting to Anoka and becoming a, a commissioner. And he had like five kids at the time, didn't he? He had a lot of kids too. Yeah. They did it all. Before we jump in, just a little note for listeners. At the 22 minute mark, an answering machine in the office turns on, interferes with the audio for about 25 seconds. Power through, it goes away. This is Todd Mahan, uh, Executive Director at the Anoka County Historical Society, interviewing former Anoka County Commissioner Al Kordiak on Friday, December 5th at. Uh, at uh, the Kodiak Company Income Tax Real Estate in Columbia Heights. So we'll just go into the questions. Um, we don't do them real estate. We just had that sign up that <laughs> about 30 years ago. I'm going to start off kind of like in the early years, um, talk to you, ask you a little bit about Columbia Heights growing up and things like that, and then we'll work our way into, into politics and, and all of that. But um, tell me, uh, where, where were you born? Yeah, I was born on... 44th and two and a half street on the edge of Columbia Heights, okay. right on the border of Columbia Heights and what was then Fridley Township. And there was nothing around there, nothing around there, but just wide open prairie or oak trees. My grandfather had a little house there and we spent quite a bit of time at his house. Unfortunately, he, you know, my grandmother spoke English and uh, so that's the reason I have to be able to speak. But that's where I was born, and then I spent most of my younger years on 42nd and Central, just just right down the street. Not far from here. 
but I, wor I worked at the grocery store here for seven years, and <coughs> for a Jewish fellow who was really, really good to me. And I worked, uh, I worked not only every day after school all through high school, but I worked my lunch hours all through high school. Do you remember his name, the guy that was? Yeah, 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 Abe, Abe Levitt, okay. wonderful guy. He was so good to me. And generally, uh, I owed him more than he owed me because whenever I needed money, I came from a very poor family. Sure. And so whenever I needed money for uh, school or uh, books or something, I'd go to Abe and borrow it from Abe, and Abe would write it down. And at the end of the week, we'd figure out, you know, who owes who, how much. <laughs> now, I ran for state representative in 1950. I was defeated the first time. But that time, our legislative district included all of Anoka and all of Isanti County. It was that big of a legislative district. And at 21, people tell me I didn't have a chance. I didn't have too much. <clears throat> Isanti was primarily Scandinavian. Yeah. And everybody's telling me, I'm telling them going to Isanti County, those Scandinavians are not going to vote for you. But I went up there. Went to Cambridge and Brigham and Asante and all those little areas, trying to get enough votes to get elected, but I did make it. But I came down real strong here in the south end of the county, and sure. so that's why in the next election I ran for county commissioner. Okay. Let's you know, go. if I stutter something, it's big race to stutter real bad. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we're going to talk about that. Let's, let's go back a little bit. Your grandparents immigrated here? Yeah. From, uh, from Czechoslovakia. Okay. Most of Koryak's dad are still back in Czechoslovakia. Okay. What year were you born in? 1928. You had other siblings? Uh, yes. But, uh, there were uh, 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 seven of us. Okay. Seven children, and my mother and father were nine of us. Right. And so that's, and there aren't many grand mansions here in Columbia Heights, so I assume it was a small house. It was a small up. house. Yeah, it was, it was a small house. Uh, we all slept in one, uh, one room upstairs. Okay. All of us in one, uh, in one room upstairs. But they knew how to save money. My mother and father went back to Czechoslovakia 13 times. Really? Yes. Even as poor as he was. And, but my mother knew how to save every conceivable penny you could save. So it sounds like your parents taught you quite a bit. My parents were fiercely anti-communist. Now, you're too young to remember how terrible it was during the communist mm -hmm. regime. But then when the communists took over, most of the year, they, they were just deaf on the people over yes. there. And each time I went over there, I'd get into some kind of a problem because I didn't quite conform to the way the communists said that you had a, that you had a deal there. So I was very active in the anti-communist movement here. On October 24, 1947, a friend of mine here from Columbia Heights, who was uh, very much of a leftist, but, but, but a good friend of mine, he said he had a ticket, an extra ticket, he could get me into a communist rally that was going to be held at 724 4th Avenue South. And that was the UE Union Hall. Mm -hmm. It was so uh, left-wing that the AFL-CIU eventually kicked them out of the union okay. and formed a rival IU, uh, IUE. So I went to that communist meeting, and I was uh, 
bitter all the time I was sitting there waiting for the national head of the party to come. It wasn't publicized in the newspaper at all. But the national head of the party was William Z. Foster. And when William Z. Foster came in and everybody got up and cheered and then I told my my buddy, I said, Norris, pretend like you don't know me because I don't want to embarrass you. But I remain standing up. And I said some bad things to William Z. Foster. And I'm screaming at him. Uh, what, do you, what were you saying? Yes. Or if, you, if it needs to be cleaned up, feel free to clean no, it up. But. No, I said, I said, you dirty, rotten, filthy communist, how dare you preach that filthy communist Self and garbage standing before our great American flag. And then I made the mistake of adding on to it, long live Franco, long live Perón. Well, Franco was the Spanish dictator of Spain. And I got a letter from Franco and a picture from Franco. I still have it, really. And it was just, the whole thing took a minute. But then they had me up off my feet and head first. I was going out the hall, and they took me out into the hallway, and they beat the hell out of me. Oh, really? And rolled me down the steps. And I don't know why the cops came in just about then, but there were two policemen who came in. And they said, who did it? And I said, those two guys right there. Well, it turned out that one of them was uh, Samuel, Samuel K. Davis. And he was, at that time, the candidate on the communist ticket for governor of Minnesota. We had a lot of communists here at that time. And the other guy was Libel Bergman. He ran the communist daily worker newspaper. And geez, I went to work the other day. The next day, I worked at General E. e-, e- Electric Company. <laughs> that word E is always up to a Oh, you're, no, that's fine. Geez, I came to work and everybody says, holy smoke, Cordiac, did you see you made the front page of the paper today? I said, I did. I said, why? Well, I said, they arrested the candidate for governor of Minnesota. He's in jail. One on the communist ticket. And they brought the newspaper out and showed it to me. Well, then we had a trial. But from that trial, uh, all, all kind of things happened. I ended up, there were, there were uh, a number of people sat in the booth reserved for defendants of the communist party. Mm-hmm testifying against me, that I was a threat to the Communist Party. I used force and violence, and I had a large group in Columbia Ice that followed me, and that they would do you know, whatever I asked them to do, and that I was a threat. And, um, and one of them even said that I would blow up the Communist Party headquarters. And then there was a, a girl came in the courtroom, and geez, I was so glad to see somebody that I knew from the Catholic Church over here. I went over and talked to her, oh, Georgiana, it's so nice to see you, because I was so scared about the whole thing. I was all alone. And uh, another guy in a black hat and black suit, he uh, come up to me, and he says, uh, he says hey, I don't talk to that girl. Oh, she's a good friend of mine. He's, he said, well, she's testifying for the Communist Party against you this afternoon. Oh, no, why? He said, did you get a letter from General Franco? 
and she's going to testify that you got the letter. She, I couldn't read it because it was Spanish, so I yeah. took it. So I took it for a Catholic youth club, and she was there, and she was there when I showed it to the priest, asked if he could interpret it for me. So she was she was left wing, and so she ends up is is a defense witness. Wow. And then my associate professor at the university, from Columbia, he testified against me. Uh, and amazingly, in 1947 was a crucial period in American history when we were trying to make sure that nobody else in the world got the secrets to the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of people were arrested, jailed. Uh, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg were hung or electrocuted for the for being spies. So what happens? One of the people that testified for the Communist Party my neighbor in Columbia Heights saw me work for the Atomic Energy Commission. So I called the FBI and I asked the FBI. And I, I told the FBI, if you want some interesting information, just look up State of Minnesota versus Samuel K. Davis. And you'll see that one of the defendants for the Communist Party is now working for the Atomic Energy Commission. Then, and he then was the Socialist Workers Party, SWP. Sure. And surprisingly, the SWP had their headquarters on the second floor of the Army Navy surplus star on 4th and Hennepin, two blocks from where my wife and I worked. And uh, I started going down there. And I'd go upstairs and I'd read and pretend like I'm really interested in in the party and and uh they invited me to come down for the New Year's Eve party and I brought a bunch of guys from Columbia Heights down with me for the New Year's Eve party. They told me I could bring friends if they were, you know, of the same political beliefs as I was. Mm -hmm. my friends were but they weren't communists. And then I was an informer for the FBI for a, for a while. Is this, okay, so I understand like you, you testified in D.C., correct? Yes. Is that, uh, was that... The, the, US Lawyerly, the U.S. Lawyerly Board and then what's called the HULAC, the House on American Activities Committee. And is that related to your test, or your uh, informing for the FBI? Is that no. kind of time? Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. Then finish uh, um, your... Uh, your story about informing for the FBI. Well, no, that was about it. He just okay. asked me if I would follow anybody out who was in the in the uh, in the in the uh, in the library or the headquarters of the SWP and take down the license number. So I just close my book and follow somebody down the steps and take down his license number. And when I got a few months, give the FBI. But then I was running them for I was going to run for state representative, which I did. Mm -hmm. And after that, geez, uh, uh, he they asked me to join the party. That geez, I'll join the party on one condition: that you give me a letter telling me that you asked me to join the party, so I'd have something saying I did this for the FBI. I don't want anybody out here to say right. that I was a member of the SWP. Yeah, yeah. He said we can't do that. As well, then I can't do it either, and that was the end of it. Okay. 
Um, so and then so then you go on and well, 52 and testify before the HUAC. Uh, when was it that year? Well, let's see. Uh, my son Jim was born in. Uh, 1951, and the day that he was born, I wasn't even here. I was in Washington, D.C. Okay. And so what were you testifying about specifically? Just that this guy over here okay. was uh, was very active with the, with the communist movement, and uh, you know, you know, the, the things you can't prove, but there was a guy by the name of Nelson Perry, and he was the head of... Um, American Youth for Democracy. It used to be called the Young Communist League, but then they changed it so it sounded better. And it's Nelson Perry and this guy that testified against me were together all the time. I saw some, you know, buddy budding all, all, all the time at the university. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there was a close uh, a relationship. And then when he testified against me in court, I was shocked. You know, he's my neighbor coming down and testifying against me for no reason at all. And not against me, but for the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. So, but then I ran for the House, and that didn't work out. And four years later, I ran for commissioner, and I ran against the incumbent, and he was a good guy. Uh -huh. What was his name? His name was Alvin Itner. And Alvin Itner lived right behind <coughs> the Castle's grocery store where I worked. Okay. Knew his wife real well. And he was the chairman of the board, and he was on the Columbia School School District Board, or District 13, not Columbia, but District 13, which includes part of Fridley. He was very well liked, and uh, a lot of people said, "Al, you don't stand a chance, you know, beating Al Al Albert Hitler." But but they did. You're a young man when you when you run for office, and obviously you ran four years for an office before you're a young man then, and you're 24, 25 years old when you're running for county commissioner. Was that an issue in the campaign? Uh, yes. Yeah, a lot of people said, hey, you're too young. You know, that's, that's a retired man's job. You know, those days, people were 60, 65, they'd run for public office. Was it expensive? Uh, well, yeah, let me tell you. I have never, I've ran nine times. Mm -hmm. I have never had, nor would I accept, a party endorsement. And I have never, but never, received 10 cents in a political contribution. Really? Yeah. Well, I didn't have to. Once I got elected county commissioner, I never had an opponent again. It's Seven consecutive elections. Well, well, I want to ask about that. Too. It's surprising that nobody ever ever filed. When you first ran in 1954, did you even think about that you'd be there for a second term? And did you? Why did you run? I mean, did you want us? I just wanted to get in politics. I was, okay. I was interested in politics, and and I belonged to a club called the Columbia Civic Improvement Association, and they were complaining that. Uh, She's a no because running everything. Columbia Heights doesn't uh, uh, amount to a hill of beans in this county. And, mm -hmm. and I heard that enough. I thought maybe I should run for county commissioner and try to change that. I remember when I, I was working for e electric machinery when I got elected county commissioner. And uh, when they found out I got elected county commissioner, that I was going to have to take, uh, take time off 
to go to county commissioner meetings, my boss came up to me and says, uh, sorry, Al, you're going to have to leave the company. We can't have you just taking off and leaving and going anytime the county board wants to meet. Right. I thought, geez, I'm in a heck of a spot. I got five kids now. The county commissioner job paid about $2,400. I'm losing a job that I like. And uh, word got to our comptroller treasurer. And fortunately, his brother, he was Bob Swanson, and fortunately, his brother was Elwood Swanson. When he was a county commissioner in Hennepin County. Okay. So he got the word down. Cordia keeps his job as long as he puts in 40 hours a week. So they said, Al, we just got the word. You can take off your county commissioner meetings, but you must punch the clock and you must put in 40 hours a week. So I was working nights and I was working Sundays and I was working Saturdays. What was your job there? Uh, it, was, it, it, it was in the service department. Okay. But, you know, in those days, the county commissioners would do some unusual things, like all of a sudden, in the middle of the meeting, somebody would say, well, hey, this ditch over here has got to be fixed up. Let's go on and take a look at it. Well, those old guys, they could take off and go and take and see right. how the ditch was. And for me, every minute that I spent... Every minute you were up there, you had to make up back had, here. You had to make up at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So I'd go, to, I'd go to the office almost every morning, one hour early, mm -hmm. and I remember, just to show you how traffic was, the electric machinery was down on 8th and Central. I used to punch out at 8.25, and I would get up to the courthouse at 9 o'clock. A lot of times I'd sit there for half hour before the other guys would show up. And when I got to be the chairman, I slammed that gavel down at 9 o'clock, even if there's nobody else there. If the auditor told me, oh, you can't start the meeting, there's nobody here. Yeah, I don't know. The county, the county attorney is there, the highway department is there, the newspapers are here, and uh, we're starting the meeting. So I'd ask the highway engineer to give his report, the county attorney to give his report, and Pretty soon the other commissioners coming in and thought, what the hell's going on? The, the meeting's going on already. So all of a sudden everybody was there at 9 o'clock. Well, that's it. So how many, how, how long did it take before they started showing up on time? Pretty quick. Pretty quick, yep. <laughs> Last week we talked a little bit about the beginning of the county administrator's office. You see, when I started, I was, I was doing an awful lot of... Of, uh, of writing letters to people, uh, writing letters to agencies, and we didn't have a secretary. There was nobody to do it. There was no county administration office. So who, who's going to do it? Mm -hmm. So I asked the county assessor, yeah, Schwartz, if I could, because uh, she took shorthand, if I could dictate letters to her on occasions and that she could mail them down here. Okay. This so is the county assessor that you were dictating letters yeah, to? Okay. Yeah. So the assessor secretary would uh, type up the letters and she'd mail them to me and I'd sign them and then, and then I'd send them out. So, and the, uh, and the county commissioners said that that would be okay. But then it is, it is the work got heavier and heavier and heavier and the county government started to grow and grow and grow. 
then I knew that we were going to have to have somebody working for the county board, but there was no such thing in Minnesota as a county administrator. There weren't any. Even Hennepin and Ramsey didn't have one. Right. So uh, I had picked out the term county administrator and got the approval, and I told you Bob Johnson told me, hey, I'll uh, lot us a law for a county administrator, but you can designate him as a county federal aids coordinator and give him the same responsibility because you can hire a federal aids coordinator. So uh, Bernie Steffen was our first administrator, started as a federal aids coordinator, and then we went to legislature and got approval to get a county administrator, and then we changed his title. Yeah, I know it's on the recorder, but if I tell you something, Todd, you raise your right hand. You would not repeat this. I, I won't repeat it myself. Okay. No. So for the record, the recorder, my, my right hand is raised. So I say that. When the new when the new administration billing was finished, the first one, we had to hire an engineer because he had big boilers and I don't know anything about mechanical stuff, but mm. furnaces and everything. So we advertised before a guy. There were about 20 people applying. Our county auditor, because we had no administrator, he narrowed the list down to five. Well, we set up an evening meeting to interview the five people. So we went to the, still the old courthouse. We used to meet in the courtroom. Uh, the judges would set their courts leave certain days open so the commissioners could meet, so we met right right in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Four people showed up. Five, you know, we narrowed it down to five. We sent notices to the five that the meeting was held on that night. Four of them showed up. So we interviewed each of the four, and they all looked pretty good. Well, after we interviewed the four, one of the county commissioners, Friedolf Gustafson, he said he made a motion that we vote to select the engineer and the janitor by secret ballot. Well, I didn't know much about policy here, but I couldn't imagine why would you vote by, why would you have a secret ballot to vote for a janitor? But it passed, it was a second, it passed, and no key. When the, when the ballots were counted, I voted for one guy. Ed Fields voted for another guy. And the other three guys all voted for the man that didn't show up. And I couldn't understand about the law, that's the way it is. The three three them voted for the guy that didn't show up. On the way out of the courthouse, and it was dark, and I said, Ed, what the heck happened? You know, how could the guy that didn't even show up get the vote? He said, well, don't you know? I said, no. I said, all four that showed up were Catholics. Mm. And the one that didn't show up wasn't. And none of them would vote for a Catholic. It just, you know, I said, oh, Ed, I don't believe that. Well, well, you, know, you you're going to be here long enough for him, and so he asks, he will find out. Well, then what happened, when the guy showed up for work, 
we find out we used to call the insane asylum. We used to have the little county insane asylum. He'd just been released from the insane asylum. And when he came for work, they gave him a big uh, mop okay. and a bucket and a pail. And they told him to clean up the hall. We kept going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he never moved. He just kept staying in the same slot. So somebody ran in and told the county auditor, as he used to sit at our meetings, because we didn't have the administrator, said, geez, you better get that guy in the hall. He's, he's crazy. And so they, got, so they got him out of the hall, and we were moving some of the furniture from the old courthouse into the new administrative building, we wanted to tape this up so that we could paint the rest of it. Sure. And they gave him a roll of tape, and he kept going around and around and around and around until his whole. So then they knew, you know, the guy was the guy was off. Well, then they fired him. The only thing is, he didn't call me and tell me if there was going to be a meeting. So John Alfeld, the welfare director, called me and said, "Al, you know, those county commissioners—they broke two laws. Number one, he's." Everybody's hired on six months probation. And number two, you have to be notified of the meeting. They right. can't hold a meeting without telling you about it. At the county board meeting, if we're all there, we can decide to set a meeting on a certain day. But if somebody is unfair, you've got to give them 10 days written notice. So then I started reading that when I saw that they did that, you know, to me. So I said, I'm going to take a Fioroka newspaper. I'm going to raise all kind of hell. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Then the county highway engineer and uh, I think I think it was Judge Green came down to my office down here. And he said, Al, those guys are really panicking. The other board members. He said, I think you taught them a lesson. Why don't you leave the goal? And I said, okay. Um, I told you about about my stuttering when the highway engineer was there. Well, no, uh, you, we talked about it. The, what, 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 we hired a new county highway engineer, and I, I stuttered much worse before than I do now. I used to stutter terribly when I was young. Yeah, we talked about at General Electric and how you they allowed you to answer the phone system. Oh, yeah. It's the same General Electric. I could say GE. Really? The highway engineer, he was giving a report, and, uh, and when I responded to him, I talked to him, and I was I was stuttering. Well, he thought I was laughing at him. So he went to Ken Campbell, the auditor, and says, He's, I can't believe it. that Kordiak would laugh at me when I make a presentation before the board. Campbell told me he wasn't laughing at you. He stutters same as you do. Oh, so the... the, the so, so, then, so then we became the best of friends. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny how those alliances can start uh, and form. Um, so we've even talked about five-member board and seven-member board. Do you remember what year it was that the, uh, that the uh, commissioners expanded from five members to seven members? No, but it's the one time in my life that the governor of the state of Minnesota called me. Okay. In this day, sometimes I'm going to take a nap. I tell my wife, don't wake me up unless the governor calls. I still say that. So why was the governor calling about this? So one time, 
You know, I told her, I'm taking a nap. He don't wake me up unless the governor calls. I'll sleep, I'll sleep for maybe an hour. God damn it, she said, El, wake up. Honestly, it's the governor's. Elmer, Elmer L. Anderson. Okay. Elmer Anderson used to own some, some newspapers mm-hmm. up there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, what papers was it, Todd, that he owned? Well, he only, um, I don't remember if he called it ECM if, or, or if they take the name ECM now, but, uh, um, so he owned those and then, uh, he was involved in other pub- publishing. I can't remember the names of all the newspapers. But yeah, I'm up in Princeton. And yeah. He, uh, he said he had this bill to expand the county board from five to seven. He said, Al, what do you want? If you, you want me to veto it, I'll veto it. I said, no, Governor, go ahead. The county is going, growing very, very rapidly. And if everyone is involved actively with the constituents, uh, he seven would be fine. And I knew that some of them were very strongly for seven. The legislators were strong for seven. So I told him, he go ahead and sign it, and he and he did. Were there any of the commissioners that were opposed to it, or was there no, opposition within no, the county about no, it? Okay. No, no, they were all for it because it, it kept the districts intact. And I mean, what, what brought you to the decision to retire from the county board in 1986? Oh, I don't see. You know, I've worked so hard. You know, I've worked since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. I worked constantly. I told you I worked through high school. Yeah. All, every lunch hour, every lunch hour in high school for four years. So I worked pretty hard. I was, I was getting tired about that time, and I fell out. And Jim was getting old enough to run. If Jim hadn't agreed to run, I probably would have run again. Okay. Well, Jim, you probably don't get the opportunity to ask Dad a question with the recorder on, so I don't know if you've thought of anything that uh, that you think should be asked for the record or mentioned for the record. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of interesting ground. Many of these stories I've heard, but not all of them. Uh, certainly there are many, many more embedded in county government throughout the years that he could share that are always kind of fun and interesting to listen to. I'll say again that his grasp of names and history you know, I mean, he remembered what he said. He uttered what year it was that Fields came on the county rider charity wagon. It was decades ago, and he still remembers what year it was, clearly. But he's got an amazing grasp of Anoka County history. He really saw it from his early, early inceptions to today, so he saw an awful lot happen. Read all about it in the Anoka County Library Minute. Hello listeners, my name is Diana Nurberg. I am an adult services librarian at the Northtown Library, and I'm here to tell you about some awesome resources that we have related to this episode's topics. These resources cover local government and history, Czechoslovakian culture, and American life and politics during the 1950s, specifically with regards to communism. If you are interested in any of these topics, there is something here for you. First, we have The Practice of Local Government Planning by Charles H. Hoke. This book is going to have everything you'd want to know about how to operate in local government. Topics covered include a history of city planning, land use, transportation, finance, and more. Next, we have a book called Columbia Heights Bootstrap Town, A Social History by Irene Parsons. Now this is a thorough history of the city of Columbia Heights with a wealth of names, dates, locations, and photographs. 
of particular note to listeners might be chapter 13, in which we learn that Albert Kordiak pioneered the Anoka County Park System. The next title is Dreams of a Great Small Nation, the mutinous army that threatened a revolution, destroyed an empire, founded a republic, and remade the map of Europe by Kevin J. McNamara. Now, if that title doesn't get you, I don't know what else will. This book provides a fascinating account of the events leading to the formation of Czechoslovakia during World War I. Now, in addition to books, the library also offers some amazing online resources, one of which is called Transparent Language Online. Now, with this resource, you can learn to speak Slovak or many other languages. So starting at the library's website, anokacountylibrary.org, if you click on the Books and More menu option and then click Languages and Writing under Subject Guides, that's where you'll find Transparent Language Online. Create an account to track your progress or continue as a guest. Next is America in the 1950s by Edmund Lindop. Now this book is geared more for grade school children, but it provides a good overview of the decade for adult learners as well. Learn more about the international tensions surrounding communism. In addition to government affairs, the book also highlights social movements, entertainment, sports, and more. There is also a timeline in the back of the book that highlights key milestones from all of these areas, which gives readers a good sense of what was going on from year to year. Thanks for listening to this episode's Library Minute. We hope you feel inspired to read and learn about these topics. Come visit us at the library for even more great resources. Thanks again, and happy learning! Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. That was a really great present, Sarah. I think it even had some glitter in there, didn't it? Yes, it did. I get crafty. I would love to know, speaking of crafts, if we had anything in the newspaper that were pertaining to anything that Al was talking about. You mean that case that he was involved in? Uh, That assault case with Sam Davis, one-time communist candidate for governor? I had one of our volunteers look in the newspaper specifically to see what was being reported, and it did not make the local paper like the what? Anoka Union, the Anoka Herald. Uh, I We looked in the Columbia Heights newspaper and I think there was a small, small, small thing in there, but there was coverage in the Star Tribune. Hmm, that's interesting to me. What did the article say? Well, uh, it followed the police jailing Sam Davis and this young kid being a assaulted uh and the trial starting and whatnot and the results of the case davis found not guilty terms attack charge a clumsy frame up clumsy frame up that's the headline in the star tribune on april 29th 1948 for the specific article that this is and it's on an inside page so it's not like the front page no (laughs) His acquittal, Davis bitterly denounced Kordiak and again charged he was the victim of a that clumsy frame-up, and he assailed the police and city's 
attorney's office for issuing the warrant. Interesting to hear Al's side of, of that whole story and how it shaped him as a human. Moments like that would tend to shape a person, wouldn't they? It's really interesting how history that you read in the newspaper all of a sudden has a face that you know locally. Or a voice, podcasting. Details. Well, thank you for coming along with us on this journey. This is our official 26th episode. We'll start season two with some amazing new audio stories from Anoka County history in January. Thanks for coming along for the ride, everyone. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.